Welcome to the reading of chapter 5, where the main conflict of the story finally gets going and where we meet the antagonist for the first time. But I don't want to give away too much, just relax and enjoy the chapter and let me know if you like it by um, reviewing the podcast, rating it. I'd really love your honest opinion and if you like it, please share it with everybody who'd enjoy the book and enjoy the genre. Chapter 5 I drove the car for hours and hours and my mind felt numb. The wilderness of the Scottish lowlands. Outer Area 2 passed by me and my car entered the neutral zone somewhere in between Glasgow and Edinburgh. I might have stayed in those cities, get something to eat, a hotel room. But I just wanted to return home as quickly as possible. Home. I was not sure what this meant anymore even though I tried to tell myself that it was over now. The neutral zone sent a chill down my spine with the ruins and suspicious shapes that roamed it. I accelerated the Tesla to a full speed, hoping that it would make it through. Having a car break down in this criminal place was too dangerous. As the sun started sinking back to the horizon again, and evening came, the huge complex of metal and steel finally presented itself to me the border. My heart leaped with anticipation, and still the sadness refused to leave me. Wasn't this what I wanted? What I fought for from the moment I was shoved into the back of the scar only two days ago? It felt like an eternity. Several more miles, and safety would wrap itself around me like a warm blanket. As I crossed the border, the chip in my hand lit up for a second, but somehow My thoughts were tied to that village, those people. I couldn't think straight as thirst and hunger ate my body like hyenas. Those pictures, those words, they all kept coming back. My mind kept circling around the flames, the dance, her hands in mine. Those are all chemicals and hormones, I kept telling myself. But it was no use. While I drove through the roads of Greater London, surrounded by multicolored houses, my lenses updated me with hundreds of messages and posts that I had missed while off the grid. I just deleted them all, one after another with a blink of an eye, not even bothering to read it all. Instead, I thought of Samuel, the smart little boy with the uncertain and dangerous future, a boy I felt so close to because he mirrored her perfectly. Those suburb houses were divided in apartments. In all of them, everybody was living on their own, Most of them artists or factory workers. Some students still shared houses, but everyone had their own rooms. I thought of those houses in the village where entire families would share one single room and every luxury would be denied. Would they be better off here? I was not so sure anymore. As I drove down the roads, I felt the city's loneliness nagging at me. I stopped by a cafe to recharge the Tesla and buy a burger and some coffee with my chip. The smell of of fried oil filled my nostrils. It felt so insanely good to drink coffee again, despite the fact that this was truly crap coffee. I just enjoyed the feeling of warmth and caffeine spreading through my body. The burger tasted artificial somehow, nothing compared to the meat at the fire. It was an unfair comparison anyway. 
Sitting at a cheap coffee shop, I looked out the window where street lights started to ignite. Poster and advertising screens started, stared at me. There she was again, the gorgeous blonde advertising toothpaste. I couldn't believe that I was actually back, it still felt unreal. But what exactly? Being back or my memory of the village? Everything, just everything. My legs hurt from all the walking. I haven't slept for around 40 hours now and my hands were shaking again, craving the pills. She was right, it was a stupid addiction. Rahab. As soon as I closed my eyes, I saw her silk-brown hair dancing in the wind that roamed through the mountains like a wild animal. I took a deep breath. This is all over now. You have your life back. This is what you wanted, wasn't it? Before leaving, I ordered a liter of ice-cold coke at the red front counter. Darren, 46, my lenses showed me. I slurped the cold liquid through the red straw, thinking, of, uh, thinking how coke was one of the most important inventions of civilization. After several more minutes, I arrived in London city center and finally at my apartment. The door lock clicked at the approach of my chip, and when I entered, the spacious living area was lit by dim lights. The technological sensors at once set the optimal temperature at light and lightning I programmed when I moved in. The apartment suddenly looked big and empty. Some dust had settled over the shiny granite kitchen desk and I saw the fingerprints of my hand on the floor-to-ceiling windows overlooking the London skyline. Normally, I never touched those windows, but the earth shake from the explosion left me no choice. Has it really only been three days ago? The dark marble floor looked impeccable as I slowly walked on it with my dirt-soaked shoes. The half-empty coffee cup still stood on the kitchen counter. For the first time I noticed how impersonal this apartment was, how void of memories or any personal idiosyncrasies. There was some extensive, expensive artwork that decorated the walls, but it meant nothing to me, it was just sophisticated. I took off all my clothes that were dirty from sweat, ash, earth and grass, threw them just where I stood and climbed into the shower. Warm water streamed over my body like a wave of emotions and with it cleansed me from every mask I wore. I was tired. Everything that had exploded into my world in those last days seemed surreal, too much to take. But every time I closed my eyes it all came back. Those bloody bodies on Trafalgar Square, the village, Samuel, the fire, Rahab. Would I ever be able to forget? The shower washed away everything. This had to end today. When I entered my apartment with a towel wrapped around my body, deserted as it was, the walls seemed to push me. Had anybody even noticed that I was gone? And if I died, would anyone mourn over me? I thought about the sad song on the hill. All of a sudden, my existence made no sense. The pills. I needed some pills. I walked over I walked over to my kitchen desk and took out a white box, swallowed four of them at once. It was time to go back to my old life. The pills stopped my hands from shaking and my mind from thinking. I shaved, dressed in a sleek black suit, styled my hair with gel, put on cologne. It made me feel better at once. It was Friday night anyway. Time to go out and forget. 
I took a taxi that drove me to the one of the most famous clubs in London, Xoyo. My face was, f was familiar there. I could evade the queues of dressed-up girls and sleek men eager to enter the overcrowded building. The music banged into my ears with a deep beat as soon as I passed the threshold. It felt good. The smell of smoke, perfume and hairspray populated the air. Familiar faces greeted me with their typical superficial smiles in the pulsing probe lights. But before I could even talk, I needed a drink. The bar had a vintage style that was not even trendy anymore. Leather and metal with a dark skull painting decorating the back wall. It was the barkeeper with the orange hair. He worked, per he worked here frequently. Thin and strange looking. Vodka on ice, I ordered. The first drink went down smoothly and warmed my insides. I swallowed another one. After a while, my mind began to swim a little, and I enjoyed the feeling. Still, I was far from forgetting. But the night was long. Two guys I partied with occasionally noticed me from a distance. Both were tall and firmly built with a daily workout schedule. They were dressed in gallant suits and trendy shoes. One of them had longer hair, but otherwise there was not much of a difference. Was I looking the same as they did? Adama! They gave me a handshake, pretending we were friends. But they knew nothing of me. If I would stop visiting the club, they would forget I existed. They made me sick. How's things? A wink. He didn't even wait for an answer because he was not interested. Looking for some honey tonight? Well, they clearly were, judging by the look they threw over the room like hungry wolves. Another drink went down my throat. Actually, yes, I nodded and cleared my throat. That's what I need right now. Then you're lucky. Tonight the selection is abundant. Another guy joined us. Stephen James, the display on my lens said. My mind was too clouded to think. He, yell he yelled at me from afar, but his cries died in the deafening music. He ran towards me, his blonde hair styled away from his face, his eyes sparkling with surprise. Adama! He gave me a nudge. What happened to you, man? I narrowed my eyes. What do you mean? My mind roamed social media for answers. Doctor at Westside Hospital, his profile said. Then I remembered. I knew Stephen from working together. He was the new junior doctor, a position I had just occupied two years ago. Stephen was a, was a good guy, smart and eager to learn, just not very quick because of his countless insecurities. He was aware of them and tried to hide it under layers of fragrance and hair gel. You haven't been at the hospital since the explosion. Senior, that's how we called the head, head physician, was mad as hell, then worried that you might have been one of the victims. I think he had you reported. Reported? Well, that was interesting. At least somebody noticed my absence. I smiled at Stephen, but gave no answer. He threw me a questioning look, confused. So where the hell have you been? He had to shout in order to drown out the music. I approached him with my alcohol-infused breath and whispered into his ear, That's none of your business. Patted him on the back, gave him a wink and vanished into the dancing crowd. Someone had promised me an abundant selection of honeys as far as I could recall. The music pulled me to the dance floor and I let myself be carried away. The soothing warmth of alcohol had spread all over my inside, mixed with the chemical effects of those four pills. It vaulted me into a trance where the music was an ocean I swam in, drowning in a state of numbness. Ecstasy. 
The world was crazy for it, everybody looking to master and find it in every way and form possible. Music, alcohol, science, combat, all of the pleasures could evoke this state of mind to a certain extent. It was addictive and freeing. It was a sport of the decade. The kind of ecstasy evoked by drugs and alcohol was my favorite, except maybe for the one that followed suit. I moved to the waves of the beat, knowing too well how my body and confidence were noticed on the dance floor, like a desirable, rare piece of meat. But I didn't care. I just wanted to drown in the beat of the bass that swallowed me. It didn't take long before a girl with pitched up black hair threw me meaningful glances, approached through the countless bodies on the dance floor. Jessie Galloway, 25. It didn't matter, I forget it anyway. Her body was constantly getting closer to mine, showing me that this was not the only thing she was ready to do tonight. Our bodies rubbed against each other, arousing my appetite for more. I didn't think I was carried away by the excesses of my numb mind, my ears and eyes somehow perceiving more clearly at the same time, like in a dense fog. I felt my heartbeat rise while our lips approached for a kiss. I could barely perceive her features in the flashing disco lights, but her lips felt smooth and warm. Suddenly, as I drew back, I saw Rahab. She stared back at me, eyeing me with desire. I blinked, and the vision disappeared. Alcohol was not enough. I needed more. I left the dance floor to the bar, dragging the girl with me. Have anything stronger? I heard myself say to the orange-haired bartender. He slipped his hand under the counter and pulled a set of pills. Pulled out a set of pills. Those were drugs I took very rarely, but this day called for a celebration, didn't it? Both me and then my date downed the pills. We kissed again, but still it was Rahab I saw, or glimpses of her here and there. Get out of my head and shouted in, on the inside while trying to vanish completely inside the pleasures of this night where Rahab would stop haunting me. There was more dancing and the drugs began to take effect. Minute after minute, I lost control of my own body. My mind still was awake somewhere deep inside, but my body was acting on its own. Dancing, kissing, touching the tender form of this woman with electric sensation. The next thing I knew was that I ended up in a foreign apartment, an unfamiliar bed, and while she slept soundly after we were done, I just stared into the ceiling, disgusted with myself. I couldn't bear any second close to her. So I sneaked out into the night and came home in time for the sunrise. There I stood that morning in my apartment at the window again, staring out onto this sleepless city, my mind slowly clearing up. My head ached. The sun rays crept like thieves over London, giving form to the buildings. I wanted to vomit all of a sudden, and everything around me made me sick. There was nothing, not a single thing that made sense now. Slanegar. The word suddenly popped up in my mind, and I remembered that I wanted to look it up. Connecting the thought to the web, the translation popped up on my lenses. Slanegar. Old Gaelic. Healer. Savior. My heart ached suddenly in the memory of the kids dancing around me, calling me a, hero, a healer, a savior, and everybody else adapting that name as if it was self-evident. Healer.
Savior. The red exclamation mark appeared on my lenses to remind me of the pills, blinking annoyingly. Those pills you take every day to forget. This is the way they enslaved you, bit by bit. But to forget what? Suddenly, I desperately wanted to remember, whatever it was. The sign blinked again and it made me sick. I blinked to shut it down, opened the drawer in my kitchen hectically and took out three white boxes. Rushing into the toilet, I threw the pills in there, one after another, and flushed. There they went. A second later, I emptied my stomach in the same toilet. It had been a long time since I drank that much. The drugs had given me the rest. My feet dangled towards the bed, and I fell into it, face buried inside the linen sheets. My mind went blank. The fires returned again. I was surrounded by flames and cries that pierced my heart. I was afraid. Maybe it was the fear that got to me the most. The fear paralyzed me, knowing full well that I could not escape the burning of the flames. But then something strange happened. All of a sudden I knew that those flames were my fault. I had caused them somehow. I saw a face in th inside the flames, the face of a red-haired woman, eyes wet with tears. She was swallowed by the burning beast, screamed of pain, and although I didn't know her, my heart broke into pieces at that sight. I awoke drenched in sweat. This face was new. Where did it come from? I still felt her teary eyes looking at me. So striking was this nightmare. I had never ended like this it had never ended like this before. I breathed heavily and only then noticed that it was the doorbell that tore me from my sleep. It rang nervously with a persistent obstruction. I quickly washed my face, changed the sweat soaked clothes and opened the door. In front of me stood three men dressed in black, wearing arms. I knew this outfit full well. Government forces. Adama Gregory, the man opposite me, had broad shoulders, his voice was deep and serious. I nodded, my mind rattling to make sense of it. Right. Senior had reported me days ago. They had registered how my chip left the city and returned yesterday night. I'll get my jacket, I answered to avoid the superficialities. Sitting in a car matte, painted matte black, I stared out at the city that was blurred by constant downpouring rain. I was familiar with those mad cars that government used. During my time in the army I met many important politicians that were transported in one. I was accustomed with the poli policies of how a suspect might be treated, at least in theory. Now I was on the other end of the table. The Global Intelligence Service, GIS for short, headquarters, were situated in the southwestern part of central London, directly opposite Vauxhall Bridge, overlooking the River Thames. The building resembled an ancient Babylonian temple, with an effect evoked by building up numerous layered blocks, laid out to create 60 separate roof areas. Its enormous bulk was successfully broken down with a series of interlocking terraces that made up its formal symmetry. I remembered how I walked in here to apply for special forces. It had been over ten years ago now. 
25 different types of glass were used in the building, I was told later in the introduction for the new recruits. Due to the sensitive nature of work performed here, large parts of the building were below street level, with numerous underground corridors. It was a secret service fortress. The man took me from the massive entry hall directly to one of the interrogation rooms. A table, two chairs, naked walls. Cameras everywhere, recording my every move. My head was heavy and I forced myself constantly to pull my thoughts together. Just tell the story and be done with it. Figure out a way to live this life. Today was Saturday, so I had another day to get drunk again. A man in a blue suit entered the room and sat down opposite me. Darian Benz, 42. Black hair with some grey strands hung into this, his searching eyes, and with a rehearsed movement he commented back. Mr. Gregory, my name is Darian Benz. I am a governmental officer of the GIS. I have to ask you some questions. This is a routine procedure because we, we have noticed unusual activities with your chip. I nodded. Damn this senior. Why did he have to file a report straight away? I roamed Darian's social profile, but there was not much to see. Some travels, photos with colleagues. You left the cities for the outer area several days ago. Is that correct? He asked with a monotone voice, looking at his pad in front of him. Well, technically, yes. Benz raised his eyebrows and combed back the hair again. He, could, he should cut it, I thought to myself. I was kidnapped. Three refugees surprised me at Trafalgar Square on the day of the explosion and forced me to go with them. Where did, it, where did they take you? Outer Area 3. What were you doing on Trafalgar Square that day? I'm a doctor. I helped treat the injured. You were supposed to be at the hospital. I know. I felt my nerves tighten. But some of the injured would have never gotten there in time. I was needed there. That was an extraordinary day of emergency, sir. You should let the system work here. Before I could contradict, he continued. Anyway, did you not? You did not report that incident, right? Not yet. I suppressed the urge to smack him. He blinked. Probably some information he was retrieving from the web. Why did they kidnap you? They wanted me to treat their, their sick, which I did. In a convenient moment, I got the chance to escape. He watched me with suspicion. That's it? Just the treatment of the sick? Yes. He wrote something down in his pad. Did they force you to give any, away any information? On what? I replied. I'm a doctor. You were trained for the special forces. For two years only. Did they force you to smuggle something inside the city? No. I was annoyed by now. This might be standard procedure, but I felt more like a suspect than a victim right now. Did they torture you, force you to do anything that would help their cause? I watched him in amazement. I don't think that those people have any cause. Surely it was no coincidence that they were in Trafalgar Square that day. That's what I thought by... But, sir, he interrupted... It's normal for the victim to sympathize with the kidnappers. He wrote something down into the pad in front of him again. I have training in special forces and a medical degree. Don't you think that I know all this psychology bullshit? As I talked, my mind urged me to stop, but it was too late already. 
I told you, they're just simple people making no plans or conspiracies. They were desperate because, because they have no access to medical care. Please, calm down, sir. I am calm. Just stop taking me for an idiot. The man felt, fell quiet. Then he just stood up and left without a second glance to me. I waited there for several minutes, it seemed hours, trying to calm down. I'd said too much. Losing my temper made me only look suspicious, but I was too hungover to control myself. I checked the news for a distraction, some videos from the explosion of Trafalgar appearing on my lenses. Certain of a terrorist background, hundreds of victims, at least 40 dead. Another figure entered and tore me away from the internet. The man's whole presence instantly took the room. He was older, maybe around 60 or even older, grey hair falling irregularly against wrinkled skin. He wore an old grey suit that was clearly outdated and a face that spoke volumes. With slow steps, he walked towards the table, eyeing me without blinking, it seemed, with a stare that sent a cold shiver down my spine. Those dark brown eyes were a well of magnetizing force. There was something about him, something unpredictable. Hello, Adama. His voice was, was rough and dark, his pronunciation impeccable, slow, without any hesitation. My name is Manasseh. I have a question for you. He paused, and tension filled the room with a heavy weight. My lenses scanned his face. What appeared were only the words, classified. This had never happened to me before, not even in military. My heart made a leap. Who was this man? Why did you get so drunk last night? I fell silent, taken off guard by this question. He sat down, leaned in and pierced me with his eyes. I noticed a strange tattoo on the back of his right hand, two olive branches surrounding a perfect circle. What is it that you saw there that traumatized you so much you needed to drown it in alcohol. I didn't answer, feeling no need to explain myself to this man. I just wanted to leave now, but, the, but he pressed further. Why did you throw away all of your pills? I froze. He slowly pronounced the following words, wanting me to understand that he knew. Why flush all three boxes down the toilet? My heart began to beat faster. How could he know what I'd done in such detail? I had been alone, it was impossible. Unless... Could he really see what I saw? Track what my lenses perceived? Had Rahab been right? He smiled at my confusion, drunk at the power he possessed over me. The smile infuriated me. He was daring me, and although I felt sickening restlessness in his presence, I never backed down from a fight. So I leaned in to him, so close that I could feel his breath on my skin, showing that neither his words nor his presence, presence would intimidate me. I was so close to this man that I was about to vomit again. Instead, my whisper came slowly. Because everything made me sick. This whole world of pretenders and hypocrites, like you, makes me sick. 
He straightened up, his eyes steadfast, ruthless. His age made no difference to the way he presented himself, strong, authoritative. He smiled with satisfaction, and I knew it was a mistake to utter those words. They have gotten into your head with their lies. Have you seen their conditions, their primal beliefs? Those people stand against everything we fight for. Even you have to see it. He got up and observed me from head to toe. I would strongly advise therapy sessions, he added. And make sure you resume the pills. A beat. Then he suddenly switched to a formal voice. They kidnapped the citizen and violated the agreements of the convention. Thank you for the complaint, Mr. Gregory. The way he said those words made me gasp for air. What will happen to them? What will you do? My voice shook. This is none of your concern now. You're back to safety. Don't worry. You'll never hear from them again. With those words he left, and I was taken out into the street where the rain poured down at my jacket and my jeans. But I barely noticed, because I suddenly understood with certainty those last words that echoed through my ears. So I hope you enjoyed this chapter in the introduction of Manasseh, the main um, villain of the story. And in the comments, I just want to quickly mention the Babylonian building that I, uh, that I uh, put into the story which is actually a real building from London and it's the MI6 building at Vauxhall Cross and it's the headquarters of the Secret Intelligence Service in the United Kingdom and I thought this was a really interesting place to put the global government in. Um, yeah, and it's really true that it is that it looks like a Babylonian temple actually with the numerous layers uh, that create 60 separate roof areas and that 25 types of glass were used to build this building which is really really interesting 130,000 square feet of glass and aluminium used in the building and construction the windows in the SIS building are triple glazed with for security purposes and also due to the sensitive nature of MI6's work Large parts of the building are below street level, with numerous underground corridors serving the building. Um, yeah, and amenities for staff include a sports hall, gymnasium, aerobic studio, squash court, and a restaurant. Yeah, so um, it's really a fascinating building, and I like the symbolic change of the power of the people transferring to the power of uh, Secret Service, um, which is, uh, this building represents the most influential and powerful building in London and probably in Europe and um, yeah I liked uh, the fact that in this world the control and the surveillance of the people is just um, yeah it's um, everywhere but people don't see it because everything is done under the protection of freedom and under the uh, pretext of freedom so they say um yeah you're free to do whatever you want but the surveillance and the control are just underneath it um yeah and this uh SAS building or the mi16 building is known within the intelligence community community as legoland or also as babylon on thames uh, which is due to its resemblance to an ancient babylonian cigarette um, yeah, and I really like that one as well. And 
This is why I took the building as the headquarters for my main antagonists. And I hope you will join me for the reading of chapter 6 next week. See you then!